You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Continuing our study through the book of Galatians. Uh, so grab your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, uh, if you would, tonight. Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. Galatians chapter 3. As we're going through the, uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians, just uh, verse by verse here, uh, as we, on Sunday nights, uh, this is message number 14 in our series. If you've missed anything so far, you can always get caught up on our website at huicala.org. We also have a smartphone app that you can download to your phone, uh, listen to messages that way, uh, just trying to make it easy for you, different ways to, to be able to, to get in, in touch with if, any message that you missed so far. A little bit of a recap. Um, the book of Galatians was written to a group of churches, probably five or so churches that Paul had influence uh, over. Some he had pastored, some he had started, uh, some he just knew that were in the area that needed some encouragement. Uh, Paul writes a letter to these churches, uh, and from the very beginning, he's uh, upset. He's not happy. He uses uh, harsh language. Uh, he calls them foolish. Uh, from the very beginning, he says, I'm, I'm so shocked that you've fallen away from the faith so quickly. Paul's reason for being upset was the fact that they had taken one of the most precious doctrines of the entire Bible, the gospel, and they had convoluted it, they had confused it, they had added to it to the point where it was no longer the gospel. And they were telling people, it's good that you have faith in Jesus, but you also need to keep these Jewish customs. Uh, sometimes they're referred to as Judaizers because they basically took the, uh, the parts of Judaism and tried to bolt those on to Christianity as if it were some type of add-on or Christianity was some enhancement on top of Judaism. Uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth. So Paul sets out from the very beginning and says, hey, you're either gonna be justified by the works of the law, the good things that you do, or you're gonna be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't put the two of them together. So we can't take our faith in Jesus and put on top of that our good works because it's no longer the gospel. We can't take our faith in Jesus Christ and bolt on top of that Jewish customs and call that the gospel because it's no longer the gospel. And he says that even in chapter one. You've been taught another gospel, which is not really another gospel because there's only one true gospel. And so we find ourselves here in Galatians chapter three. Uh, we're gonna start in verse number six here tonight if you wanna find your place. But the question now becomes, how did people get saved before Jesus Christ? Again, a quick recap of the gospel is this. You and I have broken God's law. You and I have sinned against God. God has commandments in the Bible. We've broken them, just about all of them. We have sinned against God. The Bible says that God has a standard and all men fall short of that standard. And because of that, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter six, verse number 23. Because of that, we're gonna die physically one day. Because of that, we'll all die spiritually one day if we're left uh, in our own sinful condition. That sinful uh, condition that we're in, when we die, we'll die spiritually, separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's bad news. Uh, because of our sin, we deserve to go to hell. It's not that uh, uh, sometimes people think that only bad people go to hell. That probably could be true, but we're all bad people, which is the problem, and now all bad people are deserving of hell. No one's deserving of heaven. No one has been good enough to ever get to heaven regardless of our good works or how good we are. The only person who has kept God's law and commandments perfectly was the man Jesus Christ who came and died in our place so that we could be forgiven. 
You can't be forgiven based on what you've done or based on who you are or based on how much you attend church. You can only be forgiven by your faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died in my place and I'm asking for forgiveness and the application of that forgiveness to my sin account. That's the only hope that any of us have for heaven. The moment that you do that, the Bible says you will be born again. Just as you were born physically one time, you must be born spiritually, born again. The Bible uses that terminology. Jesus in John chapter three, talking to, to a man named Nicodemus, a religious ruler, and says, uh, know ye not that you must be born again. He says, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only way we can go to heaven is by being saved. Faith in Jesus Christ as our savior. Now, the problem comes when we say, okay, I'll put my faith in Jesus, but I also want to put my faith in my religion too. You can't do both. You must put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. Well, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and then all the good stuff that I do too. It doesn't work that way either. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags in the sight of God. It's worthless to God, our good works that we do. It must be Jesus and Jesus alone. So if Jesus is the only thing that can save us, and you must be born again to go to heaven, and if what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number six, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, then the question becomes, what about all the people who lived before Jesus? How did they get to heaven? If we get to heaven based on our faith in Jesus and his payment that he made on the cross for our sins, what about all the people who died before Jesus came? How did they get to heaven? How were they saved? And that's the question that we're gonna answer tonight uh, that Paul answers for us in Galatians chapter three, uh, starting in verse number, uh, starting in verse number one, just to give us context, and then we'll read through verse number 15. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, received ye the spirit of works of the law or by hearing of faith? So again, he says, did you get saved by the law, the works that you've done, or by faith? You can't have it both ways. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit you're not made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you in the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So again, is it your works or your faith that you're gonna put your trust in? Verse number six is where we're gonna kick off tonight. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse six is a really critical verse here because we see a lot of um, salvation wordy words, uh, salvation vocabulary that we have here in verse number six. It was accounted unto him or it was reckoned him. It was imputed to him for righteousness. He was declared righteous. As we study through uh, this book, we see that being declared righteous in God's sight is the, uh, another word we use for that is justification as well. Verse seven, know you therefore they which are of faith, the same are of the children of Abraham in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works, of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the books of the law to do them. Verse number 10 is important because it says here, hey, if you're gonna put your faith in your works and how good you are, then you need to understand you have to be perfect. Uh, the book of James says, if any man has been in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. 
He's saying in verse number 10 here, if you're gonna put your faith in the law and how good of a person you are, you need to have a perfect track record, which obviously none of us do. Therefore, he says we're under the curse of the law because we've broken God's law. Verse number 11, but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And that blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. It's important to understand that as we look at how you and I were saved, and if you've, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or been born again, tonight is your night to put your faith and trust in Jesus. There's no other way to heaven. No church can get you there. No baptism can get you there. Only faith in Jesus alone can save you from your sins. It's the only hope that you have. So how does that apply to tonight's uh, as we look at how to, were people saved before Jesus, salvation has always been by faith. That's it. So Abraham was saved by what? By faith, the same way that you and I were saved by faith. Now his faith uh, was the same object even, faith in Christ. Now, at this time, they didn't know that his name would be Jesus. They didn't recognize everything about where he would be born and how he would save people from their sins, but they believed God, and they took God at his word. You see, salvation is by faith alone. When we add works to salvation, it's no longer faith, and it's no longer salvation. Really important to understand that. So we can't say that Abraham was justified by keeping the law or Moses was justified by keeping the law or anyone was ever saved by keeping the law because salvation is by faith alone. Anytime we add works to salvation, it's no longer faith and it's no longer salvation. I've known folks before who said, uh, well, I go to such and such church and I put my faith in Jesus, but I keep going to church so that uh, maybe I'll be able to keep my salvation. Friend, you're... Faith is no longer in Christ alone. It's in Christ and your church. And no church has ever saved anyone. Well, I believe that Jesus saves, but I believe that baptism kind of seals the deal. Friend, if your faith is in your baptism, uh, your faith is misappropriated. Baptism never saved anyone. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of a decision that you made to put your faith in Jesus. That is it. Baptism cannot save. And anytime someone adds works to salvation, it nullifies salvation. So any religion under the sun, I don't care what they call themselves, if it's faith in Jesus plus my works to get me to heaven, it's not real salvation. And every religion under the sun is all about works and what you can do. Biblical Christianity is the only religion where the work has already been done for you. You just need to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Every other world religion is keep this list of rules and maybe you'll make it there one day. Keep this list of rules, do all these religious things and hopefully you'll make it. Even uh, religions like uh, Buddhism where they talk about reincarnation. Hopefully, maybe you'll get to a, a level of enlightenment where you aren't reincarnated again, but we're just kind of hoping that you'll make it there. We don't really know. Biblical Christianity says 
these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life even to those that believe on his name. 100% certain that I'm going to heaven because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, God established a covenant with Abraham. Now again, Paul's writing to a group of, of mainly Gentile people that have been swept away by bad Jewish teaching. So they were folks, I don't know if there's any folks of Jewish descent in our, our room here tonight, but if not, uh, it's a, a group of folks like us that are, are regular folks that are not Jews, that these churches that were primarily Gentile believers had gotten some bad teaching from Jewish folks. And so Paul's writing here, and he invokes the name Abraham, who is the father of Israel. You talk about like the top dog when it comes to Jewish pedigree. He's the guy that started the whole clan, okay? This is as good as it gets. And he says, Abraham, your father was not justified by the works that he did. He wasn't justified by the things that he had done. He was justified by his faith, and God had made an, a covenant with Abraham. Now, a covenant is an awesome type of agreement that two parties have. You see, in a, a typical contract relationship that you have with another person, when one person doesn't fulfill their end of the contract, the other person is, is released from their contract. For example, uh, I give this example often, so if you've heard it, just stick with me and just nod and go, yeah, that's good, amen. Uh, we have a contract agreement with our landlord. We pay X amount of dollars on the first of the month, and he lets us use this building. That's a contract. If we stop paying rent and we break our end of the contract, he has then now to break his side of the contract. He has permission to do that because we didn't keep up our end of the bargain. So now we no longer get to stay here because we didn't keep our side of the agreement that's a contract. A covenant is different. A covenant says if one party breaks their end of the agreement, the other party agrees to continue to keep their agreement. In this case here, God made a covenant with Abraham. And when the children of Israel broke their end of the bargain and didn't put God first the way that they were supposed to, God still kept them as his chosen people even to this day. Jews by and large have rejected Christ as the Messiah. There are a group of people known as Messianic Jews that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and put their faith and trust in him. They're saved the same way that you and I are, by faith in Jesus Christ. But by and large, Jews reject Christ as the Messiah and because of that, they have not put their faith in Jesus and rejected him and are not saved, but they're still God's chosen people. That's why I says Bible-believing Christians, we don't want anybody messing with Israel because those are God's people. It's a special place. So God has made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, we sometimes refer to this as the Abrahamic covenant. Keep your finger here on uh, the book of Galatians. We're gonna come back in a second, but flip over if you to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse number one. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of the country, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Uh, if, you're, if you're writing in your Bible or you take notes in your Bible, under, underline the word land there. And I will make unto thee a great nation. You can underline the words great nation there as well. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. 
And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Underline that word blessed. That, those three verses are what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. It has three parts to it. First of all, a land. God promises them the land of Israel. And he even gives them parameters. Everywhere you walk is yours. Just take it. And if you take a look at the parameters that God even gives to the children of Israel for the, the promised land that they have, they never actually claimed all that they were supposed to get. They stopped short. They said, I think we've got enough. I think we're good here. And they never actually claimed the full promised land, but that was part of the Abrahamic covenant as a land that God would give to these people. Secondly, God promised a seed to Abraham. Now, this was a big deal because Abraham uh, was almost 100 years old. And God says, I'm gonna make from you a great nation. And he's just like, I don't know how this is gonna happen. I'm way past uh, the ability to, to produce offspring. Uh, I missed the boat somewhere, but God's gonna make a seed and a nation out of me. So God promises him land. He promises that he'll build a great nation out of him or a seed that's given to him. And thirdly, he promises him a blessing. And this blessing wouldn't be just for Abraham, but in that him, all people of the entire world would be blessed through Abraham. And that was a covenant that God made with Abraham. Abrahamic covenant, we call it sometimes. And this is a big deal because it would give them their own land. Now, Abraham would never see the promised land. Uh, Moses himself got to see it with his eyes but never actually set foot in the promised land. Uh, we see the book of Exodus is Moses leading pe people to the promised land, never actually makes it there. Joshua sets up camp there uh, in the promised land with the, the people, the children of Israel there. They get the land. We see the seed that comes from Abraham uh, in the millions of people, probably even in the beginning of the book of Exodus, it's estimated that a, that a million people got let out as, as uh, slaves from Egypt. And then we see the blessing. Now, the blessing would take a little while for the whole world to be blessed, but the blessing that would come would be in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the blessing that would come from Abraham. Abraham would have uh, a son, Isaac. Isaac would have two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob would be known as Israel. From Israel, there would be 12 tribes that would come from the children of Israel. One of those tribes was the tribe of Judah. And throughout the lineage of the tribe of Judah, if you wanna take a look at Matthew chapter one, it gives you the lineage there. Most people just kind of skip that part and move on to the meat of the story, right? The lineage is there for a reason to show that Jesus comes from the line of Judah. And so we find here that the promise of the salvation of mankind would come through Abraham. Now, Abraham would never see these promises come to fruition. He would know that he had a son, and he wouldn't know that anything happened after that. He would know that they were supposed to have a land. He wouldn't actually ever actually see that promise come to fruition. And he would definitely never see the blessing that would come. It was a promise that God had made to Abraham. And that's why it's important when Paul says in the book of Galatians, God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham believed God's promise. That's a big deal because out of this, you and I are the recipients of that blessing. Now turn back if you would to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter three, we take a look here at verse number six. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham was saved by faith. He believed God and the promise that God had given him. What was the promise? The promise was a land, seed, and a blessing. And the blessing would be the Messiah was coming. 
one who would save the people from their sins. And Abraham believed in the promise of a coming Messiah, and it was counted unto him righteousness. So Abraham was justified. He was saved by faith in a coming Messiah. He believed that God was going to keep his promise, believed that God was going to bless all nations. He believed that God would be good to his end of the agreement. Abraham and all that were saved before and after him had faith in a coming Messiah. This is key. This is critical. Now, again, they didn't have all the promises that you and I have. It's interesting sometimes to to talk to people who are kind of wrestling with their Christian faith and whether or not they want to believe in God or trust in God's promises or believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They struggle with that. They go, oh, it's just so much blind faith. It's not blind. God's written 66 books that outline it very, very clearly for us. It's faith in what God's already said. It's faith in God's promises that he has. Now, mind you, if you're a Christian, or I'm sorry, you were part of the children of Israel, you're believing in promises that you've never heard with your own ears. You're going based off somebody else's word. You couldn't go to the book of Isaiah and see the prophecies that were gonna be made for the Christ child. You couldn't go and read the Old Testament prophets and see what was gonna happen or how things were gonna come. You couldn't read Isaiah chapter 53 and see how Christ would come and suffer and bleed and die for the sins of mankind and how God would justify all men through him. You didn't have that. All they had were God's promises that he made to Abraham and they believed God. And because of that, they were saved. So it was the faith in a coming Messiah, the fact that God had made a promise and he was gonna keep good to that promise to save mankind. Now again, they didn't know what all it would look like, but God gave them some guidelines. He told them, hey, once a year I want you to kill an animal and that animal's blood will be spilled out over the altar and this will cover the sins of the people. And we're gonna call that the day of atonement the day that you're made one again with God, the day that the blood of the animal spilled out over the altar and it covers the sins of mankind and it pays for their sins by the shed blood of this perfect spotless lamb. And they go, I believe that. Okay, I'll do that. I'll put my faith in God and what he said. Not knowing, again, it's very easy for you and I to look back now and go, oh, that spotless lamb was Jesus. Oh, the blood that was spilled was the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Oh, the covering of that animal's blood, the the perfect spotless lamb that would cover the sins of the people, that's Jesus' blood covering my sins. It's easy for us to look at that and go, oh, it makes sense now. But these people were just like, why does it have to be a spotless lamb? We have a lamb that's about to die out back. Can we just take that one and kill it instead? I mean, do we really have to bleed it out over the altar or can we just like bleed it out in the backyard? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? And covering the altar, is is that really necessary to cover all of it with the blood? They didn't understand. They just knew that God had given commandments and they needed to follow them. And they said, we believe God. We trust in God. So by them following these ceremonial laws that, that at the time didn't make a lot of sense to them, And by them following God's plan, they said, I believe that God has a plan to redeem our sins, to redeem our souls from our sin. And so they believed God, so they showed their faith by following God's commandments. It wasn't the commandments that saved them, it was their faith in God. Again, this is a critical part tonight to understand. 
It wasn't the acts that they did that saved them. It was their faith in God that saved them. Make sense? Because Paul, his whole letter that he's writing, please understand it, Paul's saying, Abraham didn't follow God and get saved. He wasn't justified because he followed the works of the law. He was saved because he believed in God and had faith in God. That's the critical part that Paul's trying to get across here. You can't follow religious works and go to heaven. And unfortunately, many false religions today have gotten off on that track that, hey, you need to come to mass and you need to take communion and you need to go to confession and you need to be baptized and you need to do all these things. And if you do these things, hopefully you'll make it to heaven one day. Paul says, no, no, no. Nobody's ever been saved by doing stuff. It's only been faith. Now, there's an interesting uh, transition that takes place in the Bible. So you have all these Old Testament people that were believing that a Messiah was coming and they have faith in God and his plans that he has set. Then Jesus comes and he dies for the sins of mankind and he rises again on the third day and then he ascends up to heaven. And now we have this New Testament, a new beginning, a new way of doing things. No longer are we looking backwards, or I'm sorry, looking forwards to a coming Messiah. We're now looking backwards at the crucified Savior. And so we see this transition where all this time, thousands of years, we've been waiting for the Messiah. Now he's come, and now we get to move forward from there. And so it's interesting. Uh, again, keep your finger here in Galatians. We're going to come back. But turn, if you would, over to Acts chapter 19. I know this is kind of a heavy uh, teaching message here tonight, but I want our church to be a discerning church that knows the Bible and know why we believe what we believe. And so if this is a little bit heavy for you tonight, just stick with me because uh, there's some really good stuff here. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse number one, we see one of these transitional phases here. Paul is he's traveling on his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 19, verse number one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So Paul finds people here who are professing Christians. And he says unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, I want to pause here for just a second and, and say this. Again, the book of Acts was a transitional book. We're going from looking forward to a Messiah coming to now Messiah has come. How do we live now? And so the book of Acts, because it was a time of transition, the Holy Spirit would come in different ways. Uh, some people would receive the Holy Spirit by having laying on of hands. Uh, some people would receive the Holy Spirit uh, after they had been uh, saved for a certain period of time. Uh, some people uh, had received the Holy Spirit in different ways. And so Paul gets to these believers and says, hey guys, uh, have you gotten the Holy Spirit yet since you got saved? And verse number two, look at what they said. And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. What Holy Spirit are you talking about, Paul? We never even heard of the Holy Spirit before. Verse number three, and he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? Now, he asked them a very critical question here. Hey, when you got baptized, what were you getting baptized for? Know this, baptism always signifies an allegiance to a body of doctrine, okay? It's not in your notes, but I'll say that again. Baptism always identifies allegiance to a body of doctrine. For example, in biblical times, in Bible-believing Christianity, you accept Christ as Savior, then you are baptized. Simple, very, very easy. You don't get baptized unless you've been saved. 
all throughout Scripture. There's never a case indicated anywhere in Scripture where someone got baptized before they got saved. And so when people come to who we call a Baptist church and we ask them, hey, when were you baptized? And they say, well, I got baptized when I was two years old. Well, a two-year-old doesn't understand the gospel and can't be saved. And so we would say, have you been baptized since you've been saved? Well, no, I haven't. Then we would ask them to be baptized scripturally. After you get saved, then you get baptized. It's always the, the biblical order of this. Now, sometimes there are folks who come to our church from a church that doesn't believe what we believe about the Bible. We would call them a false teaching church. And they were baptized in a false teaching church, and we would ask them to be baptized in a Bible-believing, scripturally-based church. So we would not recognize a, a baptism coming from a church that does not believe what we believe about the Bible or teaches false doctrine. And so in cases like that, we would ask people to get baptized scripturally in accordance with the doctrine of the Bible. And so in this case here, Paul asked them a question, hey, what were you baptized for if when you got baptized, you didn't receive the Holy Spirit? And their answer that they have uh, here in verse number three, and they said unto him, John's baptism. The John they're speaking of here is John the Baptist. Now, what was John's doctrine? If you remember, if you read through the book of John, when Jesus uh, met John, he was out in the wilderness, and he was saying to people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming, and you need to get ready. One of these days, God will usher in his kingdom by bringing the Messiah, and you need to get ready. And people were being baptized. They, I believe the Messiah is coming. I believe that God is providing a way for us to be saved. And we will be baptized because we believe in the teachings of John, that the Messiah is coming. So they were baptized based on the faith in a coming Messiah. Everybody with me so far? Again, I know this is deep for some of you. But the idea is here, they were, had faith in a coming Messiah. Verse number four then. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Hey, John was telling you to put your faith in the coming Messiah. And, and Paul says in verse number five, Messiah has come now and his name is Jesus. Verse number five, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here we have a case uh, that we might call rebaptism in the fact that they've been baptized a second time, but we would really call it in this case here a scriptural baptism in the fact that they're baptized based, in, based on faith in Christ now as the Messiah. Before they were baptized because they believed that Messiah was coming, now they're being baptized saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so here in this case here, they're baptized based on that. And so, interesting place where there was a transition of time where people were looking forward to a coming Messiah, but now they were putting their faith in the fact that Jesus Christ was that Messiah. Jews to this day, Orthodox Jews to this day, are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They do not believe that Christ is a Messiah, they reject him as Messiah, and so they are still waiting for the Messiah to come. But in this case here, these folks here believe that Jesus Christ had been that Messiah and they put their faith in him. Back to, verse, back to Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter three. Verse number 11, it says here, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, even Abraham. It's evident for the just shall live. Those that are justified will have to live by faith. Verse number 12, the law is not of faith, but 
The man that doeth them shall live in them. You see, the keeping of the law was evidence of faith. They didn't keep the law in hopes that they would be saved. They kept the law or wanted to keep the law because they were saved. It's kind of an analogy like this. I don't come to church every Sunday because I'm hoping that I'll go to heaven and be saved. I come to church every week because I'm saved. I don't give in the offering because I'm hoping that I'll get saved. I give because I'm saved. I don't share my faith with other people hoping that that'll earn me points in heaven and hoping I'll get, that'll get me to heaven. I share my faith because I'm going to heaven. And so here, these folks didn't keep the law in hopes that they would be saved. They kept the law because that was evidence of the faith that they already had. And so when they believed God, they believed his promises and they kept his word because it was commanded to them. Living by God's commandments does not save, but it is us living out our faith in God's word. So again, I don't keep God's commandments now in hopes that I'll be saved. I keep God's commandments because I am saved, because I wanna please my heavenly father, because I believe God's way is best. It's my way that I live out my faith. My faith in God saved me, but it changes every aspect of my life now. So I don't do the things that Christians should do because I'm hoping that I'll go to heaven one day. I do it because I know that I'm going to heaven one day. I don't pray because I hope it'll get me to heaven. I pray because I have the hope of heaven, my confidence, assurance in Jesus Christ of heaven. It changes my behavior. So Paul's saying here, hey, these people didn't keep the law because they thought it would save them because nobody's ever been saved by the law. They tried to keep the law because of their faith. And now he said, we have a new object of faith. We don't have to keep the law. Our, now our object of faith is not God's commandments. Our object of faith is Jesus Christ himself. We're blessed by Abraham's faith and God's faithfulness to Abraham. Take a look at verse number 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You and I are blessed by the Messiah because Abraham was obedient. Abraham was faithful to God and God was faithful to Abraham and you and I are the beneficiaries of that. You and I are the recipients of God's blessing because of Abraham's obedience and because of God's faithfulness. Now again, I know this was a lot, kind of a teaching message and explaining Judaism and how people got saved before Christ. They believed in the coming Messiah. They believed that God's promises were true. They got saved because they had faith in a coming Messiah that they would never see with their own eyes. And they believed that that was Jesus Christ. Now, what is the practical application for you and I? I want you as Christians, as you read the Bible, to know that there's always something that you can apply to your life from everything in the Bible. It's not a storybook. Uh, it's not a textbook. It's just not good uh, knowledge to have. There's always application in the Bible. We should look for how does this apply to our lives? First of all, here's the application. God always keeps his promises. God's promises to Abraham were thousands of years before Jesus Christ would actually come on the scene. God's promises to build a nation from Abraham would take hundreds of years to come to fruition. But know this, God always keeps his promises 
Well, Abraham had the promise of a land, a seed, and a blessing. You and I have more promises at our disposal from God to us than Abraham ever had. You and I have more promises from God at our fingertips than David ever had. If you read Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the entire Bible, longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it is all about how much David loves God's word. But do you know how much of the Bible David actually had? Probably the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And let me just tell you, I love the Bible, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy aren't really like page turners, you know? They're not gonna keep you up at night like I can't put this down until I finish it. it. It's heavy stuff. But he was so enthralled by God's word. But you and I have more of God's promises than David would ever see in his lifetime. And we need to remember that God always keeps his promises. Secondly, God always honors faith, always. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God always honors faith every single time. I was talking to a man yesterday on the phone who's uh, uh, trying to get a job here and trying to move his family back here to be a part of this church. And I told him, God always honors faith. Just live by faith. Just trust in God. Believe that God is good to his promises because God always honors faith. I'm telling you, I don't know what you got going on in your life right now, but I know this, live by faith and God will honor you. And you'll be shocked by what God does in your life if you're just willing to trust him by faith. God always honors faith. Final thought here tonight, others are blessed by our faithfulness. If I choose to be faithful to God, other people are blessed by it. Abraham, God says, hey, get up out of your country and go to a land that I have. It would have been very easy for Abraham to say, well, what land is this? Now, where is it exactly? Because I got a good thing going right here. Tell me more about this land. Hey, get up out of this land because I've got a nation that I'm gonna build from you. A nation? What kind of nation? Like, what kind of, what's the government structure of this new nation? What kind of currency are we gonna use? And tell me more about this land again. And man, all people of the world are gonna be blessed through you, Abraham. What kind of blessing are we talking about? It'd been very easy to ask those questions, but Abraham just believed God, and he just went. And you and I are blessed because of it. I told you guys this morning that my parents um, didn't grow up in the best homes. They didn't grow up in Christian homes, but they made a decision at 18 years old when they got married, two kids fresh out of high school, didn't know nothing about nothing, but they said, we're gonna try to start a Christian family and if God ever gives us kids, we're gonna put our kids in church every single time the doors are open and they took us to church every time the doors were open. And my parents' faithfulness to God blessed me. There were times where I didn't wanna go to church. There were times that I fought about it. There were times that I slept in church. Uh, there were times that I uh, acted like I was going to my Sunday school class and went out in the parking lot and played with my friends. Uh, there were times when my parents gave me money to put in the offering basket that I kept and went and bought a, a blizzard from Dairy Queen after church. And I didn't do everything the right way, but I'm telling you this, today, I'm blessed because of my parents' faithfulness. And that decision that was made by a couple of 18-year-old kids back in the late 60s, is the reason you guys are sitting here tonight in church because my parents made a commitment to keep me and my brother in church. I was blessed by it, you're blessed by it. And if we're faithful to God, other people, people you'll never meet this side of eternity will be blessed by your faithfulness. Just be faithful. 
Just follow God by faith and God promises to bless you and he's gonna bless people around you. I have a, a really good friend of mine that uh, I email back and forth with probably once a week. He's a, a faithful layman in his church. He was in the Air Force. He's in the Air Force Reserves right now. He's a pilot. Um, probably one of the most solid Christian men that I know in my entire life. About 12 or 13 years ago, he gave me and my wife a copy of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and says, hey, uh, here's a book that's helped me and Beth in our marriage, and I think it'll be a blessing to you. I read it voraciously. And I mean, I read it in one sitting. There's really a way to honor God with my finances. There's a way to live without debt. And we applied that to our lives, and man, it changed, revolutionized our life. We applied it to our, our kids' life. It revolutionized their lives. Uh, we've hold, held Financial Peace University here. We paid over, off over 100,000 plus of, of debt as a church family together by these principles of, of the Bible and God's way of managing finances. And I, I emailed him yesterday. And I said, I just want you to know that I've been blessed by your faithfulness. I've been blessed by your encouragement, by your example that you've had. And I said, our church family's been blessed by that. And I said, I just want to say, thanks for being faithful. And I've been blessed by the faithfulness of other people. I shared uh, last week in the video that I recorded for you guys, uh, we uh, had gone on a, a Christian heritage tour in London. Uh, they had a lot of different tours, a lot of different buildings, and a uh, ridiculous amount of architecture in, in London and Europe, beautiful buildings and stuff like that. But we went on a Christian heritage tour that this guy walked us around to different places in London where different people had preached, where different people had preached messages and uh, things along those lines. It was just so encouraging. And we were standing outside of, of St. Paul's Cathedral, which at one time was a Catholic church and then is now an Anglican church. Uh, and the Anglican church today, in, in England especially, is, is an enemy of the gospel. They're not gospel preaching. They actually hate the gospel. Um, and so we're standing outside of, of St. Paul's Cathedral there. And St. Paul's Cathedral was a place where John Wycliffe was actually tried as a heretic for, for translating the Bible. He actually was, uh, uh, was uh, on trial there. And then it was also the place where William Tyndale had gone into exile because the Catholic Church had threatened to put him to death for translating the Bible into English. And so he had made it his life's work to translate the Bible into English. And they, they were so excited because they had finally finished the New Testament in English. It was the first time people would ever be able to read the Bible, the New Testament, in their own language. And they were so excited about it, but it was illegal to do that. And so they actually smuggled these copies of the New Testament from Germany into England and began to distribute them in the city of London. And the Catholic Church put out uh, a warning that all New Testaments should be gathered up and brought to St. Paul's Cross, which is outside St. Paul's Cathedral, and those should be burned, the New Testament, because it was against the law for anybody to have the Bible in your own language. And the idea behind the Catholic Church to this day, if you want to know the Bible, we'll tell it to you. If you want to know how you're supposed to live, we'll tell you how. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to figure it out for yourself. We'll tell you what you need to do. Uh, the Catholic Church puts the, the Bible and tradition on the same level as far as what, it, what carries weight. And if one outweighs the other, tradition outweighs the Bible every single time. And so they, they put out a requirement that all the New Testaments be brought to St. Paul's Cross there outside St. Paul's Cathedral in Bern. And I got to stand at the place where they actually burned New Testaments. And I thought to myself, like, wow. William Tyndale then, as a result of that, was put on trial, uh, was sentenced to death, and was strangled and burned at the stake. 
What was his crime? Translating the Bible into English. And I thought to myself, what a debt of gratitude that I owe to William Tyndale. William Tyndale changed my life because I have God's word. William Tyndale changed my family's life. William Tyndale changed eternity because of his sacrifice. And I thought, what a great debt that I owe to a guy that most people have never heard of in their entire life. And I thought to myself, so many other people in my life that I owe a debt of gratitude to because I was blessed by their faithfulness. In this passage here, Paul says, you've been blessed because Abraham was faithful, not to doing good things, but he was faithful to what God's promises were. You and I, if we're faithful to God's promises and we're faithful to God's word, other people will be blessed by it. And it might be people that you'll never meet in heaven. You might meet, might meet in heaven one day, might never meet on this earth, but that's not the, the point. The point is I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to be faithful to what he's given me. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time in your life where you've been born again. Paul says this, you can't be good enough to get to heaven. You must put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved. If you're here tonight, there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Don't leave here tonight until you know for sure that you're saved and you know for sure that your sins are forgiven. It's the best gift you'll ever have. But for those of us who do know Christ as Savior and we do call ourselves Christians here tonight, let's be faithful to God's word this week and other people will be blessed and we'll be blessed as a result.